My new course is available now. It's called Instructions to Inner Peace, Finding Equanimity and Healing Through an Organized Practice of Ho'opono Pono. <laughs> now, this course is for anyone with anxiety, depression, PTSD, anger, self-worth issues, or for any spiritual seeker who wishes to raise their consciousness. Ho'oponopono, or as many people who have taken the course call it, HPO, <laughs> means to correct errors. It's the ancient Hawaiian technique of cleaning unwanted thought patterns, taking responsibility for your emotions, and raising your frequency for love. I've organized it into a daily practice for you. Check out the link below or go to www.peaceoverpain.com, enter the cyber clinic, and purchase this audio course for a very affordable cost. Give it a shot. See if it's for you. And please let me know how it turns out. Welcome to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese, a program that can help you become liberated in the modern world. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin W. Reese. What would you do if you were diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and given two or three months to live? Welcome to episode number 134. Today, I'm talking with Ryan Lelf. In 2015, Ryan was diagnosed with stage 4 lymphoma cancer and given two or three months to live, but he decided to go an alternative route. He went on a two and a half year journey to overcome. So I ask you to sit down and relax and take in this beautiful and valuable recording. Let's begin. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. So about six years ago, you were diagnosed with stage four cancer. You weren't given much time to live, right? Yes, correct. Yeah, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in uh, October of 2015. Mm. Of course, you know, everybody's got a different opinion, but the first oncologist thought potentially I only had two or three months. Uh, it's very aggressive. It was uh, basically a tumor load from my groin to my neck. I had a basketball-sized cluster in the stomach. Uh, it was in my spleen. Mm -hmm. I had lesions on the liver. It had metastasized into my bone marrow. And then on top of that, I had double pleural effusion. So I had fluid already building up in my lungs. And then I had ascites that started and it built up all in my abdomen. So yeah, it was a, I mean, pretty a, a serious, serious. Yeah. A serious, serious diagnosis <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. But you didn't agree with the doctor, did you? Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, uh, I just, no, I, I just remember from the very beginning thinking, I, I mean, very early on, I had the thought like, you know, cancer picked on the wrong dude. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, although I've grown a lot in, in, in my awareness and my understanding about, you know, what it means to be human, uh, I, I, something just said, well, I mean, that's their opinion. 
And that's what they may think is going to happen. But in all reality, they don't actually know for sure. Right. Um, and so, like I tell people all the time, like uh, I'm kind of one of those crazy people where it's like, I mean, I didn't know, obviously, for sure if I could overcome it or if I could heal from it. But I sure as hell was going to find out. I, right. I wasn't, I wasn't going to go down without a fight, you know, and without basically going to the end of the earth to try to, to see what I could discover. But did, so you didn't, you didn't want to do any of the chemo or any of their route? Not, not, not in the beginning, because I just, I just felt like they didn't really have anything to offer me. I mean, they're telling me it's an incurable disease. They're telling me the chemo is so powerful that actually it could actually kill me the first two weeks. But if I could make it through that, then depending on how I responded, basically what they told me is like, maybe we can get rid of it for a little bit, but it'll come back and then you'll have to repeat it again. And it's like, well, what kind of quality of life would I even have, even if it does extend it? Mm. So they, they only seem to be offering the idea that, well, maybe we could manage it for a little while, buy you a little bit of time. Well, I mean, that didn't sound appealing, especially if it was just going to make me sick uh, or sicker. So, I mean, I kind of just looked at it as like, well, I'm playing with house money. Uh, no, you know, you guys don't think I'm going to live anyway. You don't seem to have a cure. You're not real excited about what you have to offer me. So, you know, thanks, but no thanks. I'll just see what I can figure out. And, you know, thankfully this was in a day and time where we have the internet, we have social media. I mean, it was amazing how quickly I got connected to people that had, you know, overcome their cancer, had learned of all these other ideas, alternative ways to heal yourself. The amount of people that I was able to Facebook or message or jump on a phone call with, like it was truly incredible. I'm talking in a matter of days, weeks, the yeah. amount of hope that I was filled up with that there might be a path was, was immeasurable. And I'm going to, I'm going to make an educated guess that the doctors never told you to change your nutrition, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I just have come to accept the system that we live in. Yeah. And once, once you kind of dig a little back into history and you realize pharmaceutical companies essentially kind of took over education, training, Western medicine, um, that's just not even anything that doctors are being taught about or trained in or even exploring. Mm -hmm. So I don't even consider them as like bad people necessarily. They just, they just don't even cog in the wheel. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I, I, as much as they frustrate me at times, I do also have some empathy to go, well, you know, just like all of us do at times, um, they maybe not, they maybe didn't fully grasp the system they were entering when they made the decision to choose that as a career path. And I do believe a lot of them did want to help people and do want to yeah. make a difference. But, you know, once you get stuck in it and you got hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt and yeah. you got a family, you, you know, I think a lot of them feel stuck to be quite frank. And there's yeah. a lot of peer pressure, a lot of bullying, yeah. uh, a they, lot of, you know, they're very handcuffed. They are. They can only do what the system allows them to do. They're they're they have to play within their own rules and regulations. So that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And, and, so yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't have any. Uh, in fact, when my wife even mentioned something about that, it was just like he, the, doc, the oncologist kind of glazed over. You know, he just 
it's just so far outside of their realm or anything that they know anything about. So you are looking straight in the eyes of death. How does this change you as a person? <clears throat> well, I think, I think the first thing I did was I, I, I had to first ask myself, like, well, what, what do I think death is? What do I believe about death? Why, why, has, why do I have the feelings that I have about death? And, of course, you know, you start realizing that most of what you come up with, well, you picked that up from your parents or you got that during childhood. Okay, but then the next question is, is well, where did they get it from? And then you start asking them questions and you start doing a little more investigation like, oh, well, they just got it from their parents. And it's like, oh, so in some ways, what I hold on to or what I believe or what I think hasn't necessarily come from engaging in critical thinking or hasn't come from setting in meditation or pondering or considering all the vast options of, of what something might represent. And so I thought to myself, well, why are we so afraid of death? I mean, we're all going to die. I mean, mm -hmm. the second you arrive here, you start dying. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it seems a little weird to, 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 to be here. Like, whatever this is, I'm a human being on planet Earth, and I'm going to die. And I'm very clear on that. And everybody's clear on that. And now I'm supposed to be terrified, it, terrified of it the entire time I'm, I'm living? That is that doesn't add up. Like that seems yeah. really odd to me. Like, well, what's when the you, point of being here then? When you frame it like that, it makes a lot of sense. Why? It, it it's a lack of acceptance that people have, and nobody wants to die, quote unquote, too early. Even though an eighty-five-year-old could be just as scared as a twenty-five-year-old. Oh, hundred percent. And many times they are. I watched my mom's mom my grandmother passed away back in 2008 and here she had been devoutly religious she she was raised and and continued to to you know believe in the christian uh spiritual version um and and yet she she was sorry uh she, she was she was terrified i mean absolutely on her deathbed like yeah. knowing any day like Oh my God, what am I going to face next? Yep. And here, here's the reality that I've come to. Death is actually an amazing gift and blessing. Yeah. Because if you, if you were going to be here forever, I mean, what urgency would there be to grow, to be inspired, to have a yeah. sense of urgency, to, to do something with your life or your time? Like the fact that it's not going to go on forever ought to be pretty damn motivating for most of us. You know what I'm saying? And we ought to get excited about the fact that, you know, I didn't really have a whole lot to do with getting here and I'm not going to have a whole lot to do about when I leave. So I'm here now. Like, let's live it up. Like, what am I interested in? What, what, yeah. what lights a fire inside of me? What am I curious about? Like, yeah. what can I go taste and feel and smell and touch and experience? Cause it's all going to be over in like a blink of an eye, man. At any time. 
at any time, by the way. Yeah, like, and we, come on, we all live by the false assumption, like, that that's not anytime soon, by the way. But we don't know. Like, I really don't know. Like, I mean, there's plenty of people that didn't think they were going to die today, and they're dying today for one reason or another. That's right. And I mean, that might sound morbid, but I just feel like a lot of the ancient spiritual teachers, regardless of, you know, what particular genre of spirituality or religion that they kind of identified with, there's, there's a common thread, I find, with lots of different historic spiritual people that wanted to share, you know, what they felt like they had discovered. And that was when you are attached to an idea, a fantasy, something being the way you want it, and you're in denial about reality, all that does is create suffering. That's right. That's all it does. Gautama the Buddha diagnosed this 2,600 years ago. (laughs) Bam. Bam. Yep. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. And I'm sure somebody diagnosed it before him. Probably so. Just not on record. Right. Just maybe wasn't documented or somehow didn't get kind of passed on or, you know. Yeah. So... When this diagnosis happens, you're, you're, you know, you're looking death in the eyes and you have to put forward quite an effort to reverse this cancer, right? So oh, what- tremendous effort. I mean, it's two and a half year journey. I mean, yeah. I lost 50 pounds. I, I looked like death. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures. I pretty much was documenting and posting my journey on Facebook throughout the whole you know, two and a half year period. And I was putting out very transparent, vulnerable emotions, pictures, videos. I mean, people saw me. I mean, I, I've had people message me and say, as, as much as I looked forward to your updates every day, and as much as I was intrigued, I would have people tell me, I just couldn't bear though to look anymore because all I could think of is he's not going to make it. This guy's going to die. This is my friend. Or this is this guy's gonna have three kids that grow up without a father. His poor wife's gonna be a widow in her thirties. And like, I literally have had people say, "Don't don't get me wrong. I didn't stop following you because I didn't care, or I didn't love you, or I wasn't wanting to know how it was going. I just was. I couldn't handle. It. I could not handle what I was seeing. There, there's still people to this day that say, if I had not witnessed it in real time. I don't think I could believe if you tried to tell me the story that you were telling as it was happening and I hadn't witnessed that, I'd be like, ah, man, there's no way that that's not possible because I mean, I got a Plurex catheter at one time put in to try to basically give me some pain relief so we could drain the fluid at home on a regular basis versus having to always go into the hospital. And I remember my wife, running into a doctor friend of ours who wasn't on Facebook. And so he wasn't following my whole journey, but he had kind of heard through the grapevine that I had, that I was well, that I had overcame. And so he didn't know any of the details and and he bumped into my wife and he's talking to her and she's telling him. And about the time she mentions that, you know, he had this fluid problem and she's like, and he got this Plurex. He like stops her. And he's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What do you, he got a Plurex catheter. And she's like, Yeah. And he's like, and, and he's alive and he's well and the cancer's gone. And she's like, yeah. 
Mm. And he's like, oh, no, 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 you, you don't understand, Caroline. I've been practicing medicine for almost three decades. Nobody lives who gets a, 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 a Plurex catheter. The, the only reason we do those is to mitigate the pain for their final days. Right. Nobody comes back from that. We never remove them because the so people are dead. How'd you do it then? How'd you get through it? Man, that's like that's like a, a question with unlimited answers. <laughs> and and I like to say it this way because I I tend to lean towards the idea that on some level there really is no reality, there's only perception. And so I'm gonna give you my answer, but I'm highly aware that that is still my perception of what I believe it was. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't have any way of knowing for sure because I did all kinds of things. I mean, I radically changed my diet. I did unbelievable amounts of therapies and treatments. I went to an alternative clinic. I was in getting in a sauna. I was juicing. I was doing coffee enemas. I did IVs. I took, you know, thousands and thousands of supplements. I got into meditation and, and I, I basically tell people, listen, I, I know on some level it's a combination. It, it, it's obviously some of the physical, tangible things that I did. But what deeply, deeply resonates within me was that until I got to the root stuff on the inside, until I figured out why do I believe what I believe? And where did I get these thought patterns? And why have I always felt like I was never good enough? And why do I feel like I'm just a slave to my mind? And why is it always beating me up and, and making me feel shame and guilt and, and not valuable? Like, where is all that coming from? Mm. And one of the exercises that I did during my journey that I think was a, a real turning point is I basically took out a legal pad and I just wrote down all the areas in my life that I felt some level of uneasiness about. Mm. And I had three pages full. Wow. And anybody that I've ever invited to do that, that's actually been willing to do it, they're always blown away with how much more stuff they didn't realize they have a lot of anxiety or stress or uneasiness around. You had to face your fears. Everything. I mean, yeah. money, sex, relationships, health, social status. I mean, some of the deepest needs of every human on the planet is to feel loved and accepted. It could be that you feel like if you, if your parents ever found out about something, they would withdraw their love and they wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't accept you anymore. It could be uh, a relationship with a sibling where you think if, if you become like, here, here's a big one. Okay. I grew yeah. up in a home where my family unconsciously, and, and they didn't do it on purpose, we, we judged and hated people who were successful and wealthy. Mm. And so one of my revelations as an adult was I sabotage every time I'm on the verge of having massive success and potentially exploding into financial abundance because subconsciously what's been programmed to me is programmed into me is if you do that, you know what that means. That means your family's going to hate you and they're not going to want to be around you and they're going to withdraw your love. And the pain of thinking that that would happen was enough for me to internally somehow screw it all up, make myself average again, get broke so that on some level I didn't lose the thing I thought was I was going to lose. Does that make sense? Yeah, you had to go into your subconscious mind and clean 
clean house. Yeah. So from my perspective, that is the foundational point for how I healed myself. It was, why have I felt this way since I was a young kid? Where did I first get the idea that I wasn't good enough? You know, why have I had all this stress and anxiety? And I just, I just was relentless and I read books and I got on podcasts and I, I studied quantum physics and I wanted to understand what consciousness meant. And I Mm. deconstructed everything anybody had ever taught me around the idea of God. Like, like I just, I just, I had to decide for myself that if I was going to keep believing something, it was going to be because I decided that's really actually what I believe, not just carrying forward beliefs that got handed to me that I never even realized just, I picked up along the way. You went, you went into your programming. Yeah. And so, so on some level, when I simplify it for people, I say being sick or having a diagnosis of cancer was just a representation that on some level I was in dis-ease. And once I kind of got that picture in my mind, then I thought to myself, well, how do I go on a journey and how do I learn to live at ease? How do I learn to be at ease with myself, with my circumstances, with my family, with my life, with what's going on in the world. Like, I'm not going to be able to control all that. I'm never going to be able to line up the circumstances to, to the exact way that I would want them. So how can I be at ease in the midst of all that chaos? Because I thought if dis-ease equals I'm sick, I've got cancer, my body's giving out, then what if being at ease meant I'm healthy, my body functioned perfectly, I'm well, I'm thriving, I can do things, I can live, I can go, I can be, I can act. And on some level, that, that's what, that became my pursuit. How do I go from dis-ease to ease? Makes sense. And so you've said on your social media that you don't go to doctors. You don't go to the medical doctors. You don't go and get scans, nothing. You just let it flow. Yeah, I mean, I, the last scan I got, I think, was in May of 2018. I had to get a PET scan because I had a port that was in because um, I had done a little bit of chemo um, kind of towards the end of my journey, and I needed that port for all the IVs I was doing even alternatively because my veins would give out, you know, from just all the time they were sticking them in my arms. And so the only way they would take the port out is if I agreed to do another PET scan. I said, yeah, I mean, I already knew I had been cancer free for several months. I felt great. There was no doubt in my mind. Um, and I remember telling my wife, Caroline, I'm like, when we go in to meet with the oncologist and, and, and he has the PET scan in front of him, I'm just telling you, like, don't be surprised if he doesn't even have anything to say. There's, they're not going to find anything at all. There's no, no question in my mind. And she was just like, really? Like you're that confident. I'm like, I know that I know that I know. Sure enough, got that PET scan, went in and his PA was in there first of all. And she said, um, well, we got your results back. And uh, honestly, it looks better than most healthy people who are just checking to see if they have cancer. She's like, "Uh, there's nothing to discuss. And then the oncologist came in and all he did was look at me and say, so what do you plan to do with the rest of your life? He literally never even brought it up. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I responded and I took a picture in the hallway and we walked out and that was, I mean, 
We're three months away from that being four years ago, and I haven't seen a normal regular doctor. I haven't been in a hospital. I haven't seen an oncologist. I haven't had a scan. None of that, because why? Why would I, what is there to check up on? Why would I want to go see if I'm sick again? Would I not know? Like, have I not gotten so in tune with my own body? Like, I'm not saying I never wouldn't ever get another scan if I thought there was a real reason to, but I'm not living in an illness model. I'm not living in a state of consciousness where I'm wondering if maybe I'm sick or not. Like, fooey on that, man. <laughs> like, I'm going to live healthy and vibrant, and I'll stay in tune with myself and my body. And if I get a real reason or a real signal that something is seriously wrong, fine. Then I'll evaluate. I may go see a doctor. I may see an oncologist. I might get a scan because people are always saying like, well, do you ever worry about it coming back? No. What if it does? And I'm like, well, what if it does? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, what if it does? I'm like, guess what? I'll navigate it if that's what I have to navigate. But until that potentially thing that may or may not happen, yep. like, why should I sit around and wonder? I mean, I, I have zero clue. Zero. Yep. I mean, I... I obviously don't think it's coming back and I'm doing things that I feel like increase my chances and odds of remaining healthy, but that still doesn't mean it couldn't happen. <laughs> I mean, you, nobody anticipates getting in a car wreck or getting seriously injured or dying, but the reality of it is every time you get in a car, yep. that's a possibility. I, I mean, look, the, the, I call it the sea monster. When the sea monster hits, it's really an alarm system saying that you got to make some changes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a divine tap on the shoulder. Like, hey, bro, yeah. um, you might have been unaware, but uh, it's kind of like they're like waving the white flag. And they're like, okay, I've been holding up the fort here for a bit, dude. Uh, we're going to need some life child's change, lifestyle changes. We're, we're going to need you to find some new ways of being like, the way you're doing this human thing right now, uh, this isn't working, man. Like I'm, I'm about to be out on this whole deal. So, you know, here's the invitation to shift. Here's the invitation to change. So the, the, sea, the sea monster <laughs> is not like a car crash. A car crash right. could, could kill your, kill you instantly. Yeah. Yeah. The sea monster could take six months or four months or Correct. a year, two years. So right. you got time right. to, to do something. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's an exception to the rule occasionally where someone literally finds out about something. And I mean, it, you know, you do hear occasionally of people like pass away in literally like a matter of weeks or something. But I think the, the, the vast majority, I think you're exactly right. They do, you have some time. There's a runway that if you are willing and open and able to expand yourself beyond your little limited world and box that you live in. You, you could find a path to healing. I'm not saying it's not uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's not challenging. I'm not saying it's not scary as hell. But I mean, again, like who knows what's on the other side? I mean, dude, we just had our fourth kid. I stare at that little baby boy and he smiles and giggles and laughs. And I think, oh my God, if you would have told me when the oncologist diagnosed me six years ago, let me tell you what's going to happen in 2021 at the end. You're going to have another kid. I mean, 
who in their right mind could have imagined or believed that mm. like perhaps the unknown is is far better to all of us than we ever give it credit for because i think the way our b- brains are 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 made and wired if if you have any type of what we call a bad experience or or trauma you know it's it's built for survival so mm. anytime it senses that it could be in danger of another repeated experience that brought pain or or what it considered suffering or was bad or or whatever man it's like the alarms go off you know what i mean but in all reality this potential new experience has no potential for any of that but maybe the brain's confused and doesn't know and so i think a lot of times again we're just slaves to our own programming our own minds our our own lack of understanding about what it means to be human and how the brain works and how tricky it can be and so we 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 want certain things in life and yet we keep getting in our own way that's right one of my teachers dr bernie siegel has said that you know he he was a, a surgeon at yale and he says there's every time he saw a sea monster reversal <laughs> and there were a bunch and every time there was a reversal it was from the person either going on vacation and start living and letting go of their stress, or it was some sort of journaling or drawing, getting into the subconscious mind, you know, inner work. Mm. So there's something there. There's something to be said, man. Yeah. And so you nailed it with what you're saying about, you went into your awareness, you went into your programming and started looking around. <laughs> yeah. You just, you got to become the scientist of your own life. Yeah. You know, you just got to be okay with exploring and experimenting and you gotta, you gotta face these false fears that make it seem like it's scary to, to look in there or look at all that. Yeah. And you gotta be okay with dying. Yeah, you really do, because it ain't like you can stop that or <laughs> change that. Um, I mean, we sure get really excited and we celebrate when people transition from like, you know, my wife just had a home birth with our fourth child. And, you know, I was right there with her the whole time as she labored in our master bedroom. And then when she got close and was ready to push our older three kids who are 10, 11 and 16 they all came in and they were there for that 10 to 15 minute period where she was ready to deliver the baby. And then they literally witnessed her in that tub. And, and I mean, we all saw when she made the first push and like, just like his head was right there and she was just kind of holding it. She was waiting till she was ready and then boom. And like, here he came and it's like, well, what, what are we, what, what, what did we just transition? And then boom, he's crying and he's got senses. And, you know, now I'm, I'm so tuned in to every little nuance about him right now. Like he's discovering his, his arms. It's like, what are these things, you know? And (laughs) I'm like, so we celebrate birth. Yeah. So whatever we came from and people have all kinds of speculation and ideas and, and I'm not hung up on any one particular interpretation. 
I'm just fascinated by all the different ideas that they're like, oh, well, hmm, maybe, yeah, maybe that is what we come from or whatever. But like we celebrate that on some level, like, do we really actually die or do we just transition back to whatever it was that we came from? Like, yeah, I like, I mean, my father died this summer mm. and, and really like, it just wasn't that big of a deal. I mean, we knew it was coming. He had battled brain cancer for a long time. Uh, I feel like in the last couple of years, I'd been very conscious of that. We had taken some specific trips. Uh, I'd had some really special time with him. Uh, I felt like him and I had talked about everything I'd ever want to talk about. I had said to him what I had always wanted to say. He knew I loved him. He knew how I felt. And he had done the same with me. And it was just time for his physical body to to, to move on. Be done. And yeah. like... Like, I'm not saying I don't ever miss him or there aren't moments where it's like, I wouldn't like to have the physical form of him. But in my, in my mind, it was like, well, he just transitioned and I celebrate, we celebrate when he transitioned in. Why not celebrate when you transition out? Right. Right. And, and so look, you got the full circle thing in just a matter of months, man, your father passed and then you got a new kid coming in. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. 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 And what was crazy is my, my son was actually, uh, his due date was my father's birthday. Mm -hmm. Now he came five days later and we laughed and it was like, this kid was like, yeah, you know, I, I'm sure my, uh, grandfather was a really cool dude and all that, but like, uh, I'm my own person. So, you know, we can still remember him cause it's yeah. close, but I, I needed my own day. And actually like he came on 11, 11. And I don't know if you've ever looked into kind of the significance of that you probably have, but for, for people listening, you know, it represents the idea that we're all one, that this idea of separation is a made up concept. It's an illusion. It causes war and destruction and strife and all kinds of hell on earth because we don't understand and we don't realize and we don't grasp like I am you, you are me. We are the same before you could be any label, any identity, any personality, you were just human. And so was I. Mm -hmm. And so every time I see the numbers 11, 11, it's like my conscious reminder to not get caught up in separation drama or not get caught up in, you know, us versus them. That doesn't really exist. That's a made up concept. Right. So, yeah. And, and so, you know, your newborn discovering his arms and his hands, <laughs> you know, there's a consciousness there. And it's almost like, wow, what's this body? And what are these five senses that I have? Mm -hmm. This is really interesting, right? Like you remember that we're probably around the same age, 40-ish, right? Yeah, I'm 41. Okay, I'm 42. So you remember the movie Look Who's Talking? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. A brilliant yeah. concept, right? You got the kid. Yeah. And you got the voiceover narrating. Right. Right. What are these hands? What are these hands? I mean, what a brilliant flick. Beautiful consciousness that's just experiencing the world for the first time. And, and when that child is 80, <laughs> they're going to become childlike again. <laughs> and yeah. it's just a cycle. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I just look at life as school. It's like a school. Mm. We're just here to learn and, and, and do whatever our five senses can, can take. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, I resonate with that, man. You know, everything's our teacher. Everyone's our teacher. Um, I like to think in terms of like, it's all rigged for my growth. Mm. (laughs) Um, and, 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 and I'm here to experience and I really don't know if I'm going to enjoy an experience or if I'm going to want to have that experience again until I just try it or do it. So I tell people all the time, you're wasting all kinds of time in analyzation. You're wasting all kinds of time trying to decide, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Should I, should I not? Like, I I mean, fooey on all that, man. Like I think people who live satisfying, fulfilled, joyful lives, they make quick decisions. They never change their mind basically. And they live with the results or outcome. And then they pivot anytime they need to. Yeah. I mean, apathy, indecision, um, the inability to, to move. Um, I mean, it's rampant in society and those people are, they're, they're addicted to codependency. They're not vibrant. They don't have any real goals and dreams. And, you know, the famous line from the movie Rudy was it's dreams that make life tolerable. Life can be hard. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You, you could get in a car wreck. You can have issues with your teenage kid. You, you can feel stressed and overwhelmed by how many kids you got. You could have, you could make some money decisions that don't work out so well. You could have drama with your family. You could have a health crisis hit. You could have, you know, political things change. And all of a sudden the government and and things going on in the world could just all of a sudden dump all this new weird stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so, so if you don't have dreams and goals, how in the hell are you supposed to be able to keep being excited about being a human on planet Earth in the midst of all that craziness going on? And, and how can you navigate that if you can't handle disappointment and failure? Right. I like, yeah. why does it have to be such a representation of who we think we are? I mean, if you have to know ahead of time something is going to work, just kill yourself now. Yeah. Like, there's no point in even living. Like, you, you don't know if it's going to work. Actually, the fun part about being human is that you don't know if it's going to work. Ooh, let's see if it will, though. <laughs> this ought to be fun, right? You know what I mean? Like, we should, yeah. we, get way, we should get way more excited about just going for something then then we get excited about this fantasy in our mind of what we think the outcome needs to be right like you know a nifty way of thinking about it might be like a sports or something like you go to the game you don't know who's gonna win no and if your team loses all right you might be disappointed but i mean that can't affect your day that much if your team lost, unless you had a lot of money on it. <laughs> I love that. My, my oldest son plays varsity sports. They happen to have a really good team. Uh, you know, we've got these dreams and aspirations. They can make it all the way to the state tournament this year. The playoffs start next week. Yeah. And, but I, I, I've been thinking of exactly what you just described. And I'm like, 
if it's a zero sum deal where if we make it to state, then I feel like, oh, it was a successful season. Everything's good. And if we don't, then I'm like, ah, why did I even put any effort in? You know, like that's ridiculous, right? Just the fact that we feel like we have a chance is really cool because there's a lot of teams that uh, as soon as they step on the floor and play for a couple of minutes, it's like, okay, yeah, they, they have no chance. They're not even, they're not even good enough to even think that that's a possibility. So whether it happens and whether we pull it off and whether we do it or not is on some level irrelevant. It's actually made this season so exciting because of the possibilities that exist in the playoffs for us. Now, whether they truly manifest, I don't know. You know, you have to have a little bit of luck. You got to play your best basketball at the right time. You got to have a few things go your way. Yeah. Um, but I'm just getting so much better at, at getting my satisfaction, my joy, and, and everything that I want to extract from life by the thing I'm involved in and by the things that I'm doing, not necessarily because I'm waiting to get some result that puts a stamp on it for me. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the certificate's not coming in the mail that says, congratulations, Ryan Lelf, you are an amazing husband. Like you have just passed the test. Like that day's not coming. Yeah. So what 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 is it what is it really about to be a husband it's about the ongoing ever unfolding crazy wild adventurous journey with your partner yeah. that's what it's about there's no end game the game is are you playing it are you engaged are you are you tuned in like can you can you still have a spark or a connection in the middle of your kitchen on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. while the kids are at school 27 years into your relationship and have the tingles go down the back of your neck like they did when you kissed her for the first time in high school. Right. If right. you figure out how to do that, that's cool. Life can be magical. Yeah. And people think you're cuckoo. <laughs> right on. Yeah. So how would you define emotional intelligence? Ooh, great question. I think I would define it as someone with a very uh, high level of self-awareness. Mm. Self-awareness that a tendency of a lot of us humans is to hear someone share an opinion, a point of view, a belief or ideology and actually not really be listening, but already be sizing up our response. So emotional intelligence would be to be aware in the moment and have awareness like, I don't think I'm actually listening. I think I'm trying to prepare my response because there's an egotistical part of my brain that needs to prove this guy wrong or mm. tell him why I'm right. Emotional intelligence would say, I don't want to live in that place. I want to be fascinated by anyone who's willing to share their truth or their experience or how they see things. I no longer want to be threatened. And so emotional intelligence is the awareness that 
I used to be threatened by anyone and anything that saw it differently than I. Hmm. It was a personal vendetta that somehow I was getting life wrong. And emotional intelligence allowed me to see that for what it was, take a step back, kind of look down on my life and those kinds of conversations from 30,000 feet and go, there's nothing to be threatened by. Their experience, their upbringing, the things they've encountered along their journey have kind of caused them to think the way they think. And it's kind of formed the way they see everything. And guess what? That's true for me too. And if I flipped places with them, I would probably think and see and believe the way they do. And they would probably do the same for me. So why does this feel like an attack? Or why is it that someone who sees something radically different than me, why would I ever think of them like they're my enemy? And so emotional intelligence is the ability to kind of snap out of the robotic trance that so many of us live in where we're just constantly, we just respond to everything. We're triggered. We, we, don't even, we don't even know why, but just next thing you know, we're angry, we're pissed off, we're upset, we, we feel you know, frustrated. And emotional intelligence starts to see that for what it is, pulls back in real time and says, no, there's no threat here. Just listen, just be fascinated, be interested, be intrigued. And then once you've let all that set in, Give yourself the space, and then if something does come up that can be valuable in a conversation, by all means, share it. But not to try to make the other person wrong. You know, healthy debate is actually where each person gets a chance to share their point of view the way they see it. And healthy debate is not that one person is necessarily converted over to the other person's way of seeing it. Healthy debate is where I came with this point of view, you came with this point of view, and we both left with some different new version point of view that might have been a combination of both. I'm not sure we have too many emotionally intelligent people um, in 2022 because it feels like there are less and less folks that have the ability to have really good, healthy discussion or debate. And it is a necessary component, in my opinion, to a society that does well, that functions well, that serves well, and that brings up a new generation of people to carry us into greater and better things. And we're lacking that severely at the moment. Right. So you had mentioned that you you met uh, my spiritual mentor in person, Vishrant. I did. No, what happened, the story is I actually went to this little crazy, bizarre clinic in the Philippines going there with his son. Uh, but he was with but Jared. Based, yes, with Jared. That's right. Wow. But, so you guys just crossed paths at the same time at the same yeah. cancer yeah journey. i mean i mean he was there for a few weeks with with jared and i was there for a few weeks and it just happened to be that of the six or seven or eight patients that were there we happened to show up it happened to be at the exact same time in march of 2016 him in the philippines i mean just it, it's just so so 
incredibly amazing how small the world is now because of social media. And, and the way he handled uh, his son dying is, some, is most people can't even comprehend it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an elevation. Correct. Yeah. Because <laughs> nothing bothers him. I mean, if it does, I mean, he, he can still have an opinion, but nothing contracts in him. Nothing moves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can't say I'm there all the time, but I've definitely experienced what I would consider some extended stretches mm. in, in the last four years where I, I had a sense like, yeah, no, nothing, nothing can bother me. And, and I'm, I, I think I'm, I think I just recently entered my, my late, my newest and latest stretch. Like I had, I had allowed some things to affect me and I'd, noticed some stress points and there were some categories that I was still not satisfied with. And I was having some new revelations and discoveries. And, um, it's funny because in like the last week or so, I, I kind of had this sense again, like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm back in that just place where, yeah, all is well. Yeah. Why? Because I just decide that all is well. That's that's the interesting thing that people don't understand. It's it's all a choice. That's why I've named my clinic Peace Over Pain. Mm. Mm. Because you know, I'm saying I'm saying, hey, if you come over here and be a client, I'm going to teach you how to choose peace over pain because it's a choice. Wow. It's a it's wow. a choice. You know, you can you could be riddled with cancer and be on your deathbed and still be at peace. Yeah. It's absolutely a choice. Absolutely a choice. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> couldn't agree more. And, you know, for people like us on the journey, look, we're just, we're just going to have these little bumps that happen and, and you just neutralize it with self-awareness. You just keep neutralizing it with self-awareness. It's like a transmutation. Yeah. And you use the emotional intelligence to just bang and keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. <laughs> it's tedious. 100%. But that's how you yeah. get those stretches of, and, yeah. and, and that's how you start to dissolve. To, to be okay with everything. And that's Vishrant's biggest teaching is make everything okay. Yeah. I, I had a, I had a quote that I developed during my cancer journey and it goes like this. Things work out for those who are okay with how things work out. Mm. People get a perception of people they feel inspired by or people that choose to be, you know, positive and uplifting and, and joyful and people don't mean to, but they slip into this idea or mindset like, oh, that person never has any challenges or nothing ever comes into their experience that isn't fun or they got to deal with. And I'm just like, uh, no, I, you can't be a human on planet Earth. I mean, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is like between my son and, and, and my wife and I, we, we bought him a, a used car like three months ago for his 16th birthday. And, uh, you know, we. It was about $10,000, you know, we had saved, he had saved up and we had a certain amount we were willing to help him with and we paid cash. And then we just got a call uh, yesterday. Uh, it was uh, misfiring and uh, 
it's like six to eight thousand dollars it needs like a whole new engine mm. and uh mm. it's it's basically they're they're saying it would cost almost as much as the car is worth to even fix it <laughs> and it's like there's really i i don't know exactly what we're gonna do yet i it's not that big a deal in the big scheme of thing but like like of course i have those kinds of things and it's like we didn't do anything wrong we didn't make a wrong decision we were doing our best to try to find a car that you know in that price range that we knew they were going to have high miles and we knew there was potential for something like this to happen but i mean yeah yeah okay i mean and there's who i don't know what we'll do like right now i mean it's still drivable and it doesn't have to be done we had taken it in because there was a big gas smell that we kept smelling in the and so it's like well if we hadn't taken it in, we wouldn't have known there was that serious of a problem. We're just like, well, there's a gas smell, but it drives fine. I mean, he's put 6,000 miles on it since we got it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe he's going to drive it another week and the engine's going to fall out and he's going to be stranded on the side of the road. Or for all I know, the kid's going to be driving it three years from now and it's still going to be running. I mean, mm. who knows? But I just, I just want people, well, that's even too strong of a word. I, I hope other people are able to discover that they don't have to hand their power over. Right. They don't have to hand their power over to I'm only okay. As long as my circumstances are a certain way, mm. you know, or I'm only okay. As long as such and such person affirms me and tells me they feel a certain way about me, or I'm only okay. As long as I look this certain way, or I'm only okay as long as I have this number sitting in my bank account. Yeah. Like we do that to ourselves all the time. And then as soon as it's not that exact thing that we've attached our okayness to, yeah. stress, anxiety, dis-ease. Mm -hmm. And if we let that go on for too long, then it becomes serious illness. It's not just something minor that you know yeah. can trip you up for a week or two you got to nip it in the bud as it comes yeah you know hey, when, when i met my first spiritual mentor back in 2012 uh, at an ashram i was going through uh, a lot because someone had betrayed me and when i brought it up to him to get you know sort of an enlightened perspective he says well you're supposed to be betrayed. <laughs> and he spoke about it as if, as if it was a video game and, you know, well, that's part of the, that's part of the game. Like, it's almost like telling someone, yeah, you're, you want to play football. You're going to get hit. You can't expect to get on the football field and not get hit. Right. Yeah. Not everything is going to go your way. Not it's even not, close. It's not supposed to be that way. It's not, it's not supposed to. That's and 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 how many you know marketing campaigns are there out there where someone's trying to say if you just believe this, if you just buy that, if you just do this, then you can have a life where it all goes your way. Just sign up now for twenty nine thirty eight, or pay your ten percent weekly, and we'll guarantee. I mean, right. That's the sales pitch. Yep. I mean, yep. people chase certainty yep. and miss life in the pursuit of something they'll never find.
and it doesn't go their way, they contract and resist. Yep. Contract, resist, go. curl up, and, uh, and drink more alcohol, Dr. Pepper, absorb more Netflix, scroll more, and just shut themselves off from life. Yeah, I appreciate your time today. It's been great, man. I mean, these are the kinds of conversations that uh, make life worth living for me, you know? They're just, they're engaging, they're fun, they're thought-provoking, um, and they're satisfying. And I feel very fortunate that uh, you uh, invited me to, to have it with you today. So thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Inner Peace with Dr. Reese. If this episode opened your heart, feel free to share on social media and tell your loved ones. Also, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, may peace be with you.